We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast. It is Thursday, September 10th. You know what that means? Week one, somehow, ma- majestically, miraculously, however you want to say it, it's here. It is finally here. John McKechnie, your host, joined by Mario Puig. We are going to be breaking down this entire week one slate. Um, there's so much to get into, so much to unpack. Uh, we start out Thursday night with, with this uh, Chiefs. Texans game with with the Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions, getting things opened up at home, and we are going to run through the entire slate of games, getting you ready for the weekend, helping you from a gambling perspective, uh, from DFS, uh, from your season-long lineup decisions, everything in between, everything that you need for your fantasy weekend. We've got you covered, so let's get rolling here, Mario. Um, what are your expectations here for Thursday night's season opening matchup between the Chiefs and the Texans, a a rematch um, of the AFC divisional round uh, game last uh, season. 
Well, um, I'm a big fan of the Will Fuller breakout theory this year, so I have to like him in this matchup. When I look at the Chiefs' corners, I don't really see anybody who mirrors Fuller all that well. Like the Chiefs tend to have uh, like the Char- Chavarius Ward guy out out in the outside, uh, where he's kind of tall, fast on a straight line. He's got a good vertical. Like he can cover that sideline pretty well. But Fuller's good at kind of running those posts, tangling up the safeties with the corners, going deep over the middle uh, downfield at speeds that they just kind of aren't used to covering. And sometimes he catches them by surprise doing that. I mean, it was against the Chiefs last year, wasn't it, that he had his, like, 43-point game or something? Um, was it, Oh, that was um, that was crazy. I remember maybe that. Maybe that was one. a different week. I don't remember. Um, but I do think Fuller can get open on these corners quite a bit. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how much the Chiefs can use Juan Thornhill after he – at the very end of the regular season last year towards ACL, he was doing a good job as a center fielder kind of safety before he got hurt. And maybe Daniel Sorensen might have to play more. Maybe that leaves him a little bit more vulnerable deep down the middle. If so, that definitely suits Fuller. Um, I think Randall Cobb is probably overlooked by most. And I say that not just because of Brandon Cooks and his uh, quadriceps issue or whatever it is. We'll certainly have to keep an eye on that because if Cooks is in and if Cooks is, you know, himself, I don't know, 85, 90% or better, he can get open against those corners all day, too. I mean, Will Fuller, I am a fan of, of course, but I'm also a fan of Brandon Cooks. It's like the only reason I didn't draft him this year is because the concussions scare me. Sure. Uh, as a player, he's there's a good chance he's better than Fuller. So certainly I think he's he's a better kind of like underneath target, uh, like on those really quick routes than Fuller is. Uh, but I don't think he's as good of a downfield threat specifically as, as Fuller is. Uh, so I, I do think Fuller is, is um, even if he's kind of chalky, I think – it could prove worth it in showdown type things. But uh, back to Cobb, I actually think he's a good candidate for something like 100 targets this year. And in this game, um, I won't say that he has a better matchup than than Fuller and Cookswood running outside. Uh, I, don't, I actually don't remember who the Chiefs have, if it's uh, Rashad Fenton, maybe, who they had at nickel corner now. Last year it was Kendall Fuller, so uh, that would probably be a downgrade relative to last year, even though Fenton did pretty good. Um, but Cobb is just a guy who's uh, – he's, he's done really well in his whole career except for that three or four year window when Rodgers coincidentally or not started to decline really sharp Mm -hmm. and Cobb was hurt quite a bit Uh, last year he he had some drops but he also made big plays in in Dallas so uh, it's not as if Deshaun Watson is worse than Dak Prescott so if even if it was Dak Prescott kind of like making Cobb a system product last year I think Cobb could benefit from a similar thing just because he has a great quarterback still here and, um, you know, Cobb is not as over the hill as I think a lot of people really um, kind of use with it with their analysis of him. Like, you know, he's yeah, been, been in the league for a while, but, you know, he's still um, just entering his age 30 season. And, he, and I think last year was a really, really encouraging sign for him to, you know, see the target volume uh, that he did and, and perform as well as, as he did. I mean, 10 yards a target um, at, at, in his age 28 season, really, really impressive stuff. I, I think that a lot of people uh, weren't expecting that. And yet the way that he was going in, in drafts that this um, this draft season, it felt like that season never even happened or wasn't priced into to where his ADP ended up uh, settling. Yeah, and I understand why people looked at, you know, Kenny Stills, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and then Randall Cobb. No, thank you. But uh, the thing is, they the Texans understood Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and Kenny Stills 
all had their own durability concerns for various reasons. They're primarily the plan at outside receiver, and Cobb is primarily the the plan at slot receiver, and it's why they're paying him $8 million a year. Uh, he's he's going to get targets. It's those other three fighting against themselves with Stills generally the backup, uh, but one who's you know closer to the lineup than your average backup just because of Fuller and Cooks having the backgrounds that they do. Okay, um, let's switch gears over to um, the the Chiefs uh, side of the equation here. What is your your breakdown as far as um, the, their skill position guys go? Um, starting out with with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. I have no idea where it's heading. I have to admit, I thought the Chiefs would keep four running backs on their roster. I'm surprised that they don't have uh, somebody other than Daryl Williams and Darwin Thompson. So them being the next two running backs behind Clyde Edwards-Hilaire seems to imply that Edwards-Hilaire is going to play a lot because uh, it's unlikely that Thompson's going to play more than, I don't know, maybe 200 snaps this year or something like that. Right. So... If they're giving Clyde Edwards-Hilaire those snaps right away, then it's not at once like a guarantee that he'll, uh, you know, get a workhorse workload for that reason. Like Andy Reid, more than most coaches, is good at kind of getting a win and having his lead running back carry the ball eleven or twelve times. Uh, of course, we're not really worried about that scenario because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would also be catching up to five or six catches per game in this scenario. But I do think people are kind of losing sight of the fact that his his floor as a runner in any given week could be pretty low. And uh, it's not necessarily a guarantee that he catches all these passes that they're assuming because Daryl Williams is largely a passing down specialist. Like he could be a short yardage guy because uh, he's like a fullback tweener, but he's a guy that is specifically valued for his ability to kind of just shut down problems on third down so uh he could play more than people are expecting i like him a lot as a contrarian uh mvp pick on on DraftKings, just because i wouldn't be surprised if he and clyde edge get the exact same number of touches and maybe daryl williams more of them uh like more of them prone toward the 20 yard line and less like clyde edge between the 20s and, and Daryl Williams maybe more when they get into scoring range. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just turned 21 this spring, and he's 5'7", 207, you know? I, I just would be surprised if he really got ran into the ground, uh, even though I expect him to do very well. Okay, all right, so that that's a good framing of, you know, he, the, the touches will be there, like the fantasy production will be there, but, um, you know, expecting a 20-carry-a-game workload on, on that frame, not something that, that uh, would be advisable. And then especially the, the wrinkle where, like you said, Andy Reid doesn't tend to um, overuse any single one uh, running back. And then rounding it out for, for this game, um, the over-under um, started out, or the, the total here at 55 and a half way back in May, it has settled down at 53 and a half. Uh, the spread started out at 10 uh, for the Chiefs minus 10, got as low as uh, eight and a half um, for the Chiefs. And now it has settled in at, at nine and a half. Um, so just a couple of uh, line movements there to, to keep note of as you get ready to potentially throw a wager down on your Thursday night uh, season opening matchup. Let's move on over um, to the game that there might be the the um, key piece at least of cash games for for DFS purposes for for this weekend, and I think it's going to have a lot of fantasy intrigue as well. Um, we got the Seahawks traveling east um, to face off against the Falcons. Uh, Seahawks uh, minus one thirty on the money line. Uh, they are a two point favorite in this one on the road. The over under checking in at forty nine. Um, so let's get let's hear your breakdown of this matchup. 
Well, I don't know if everything is settled with Quentin Dunbar at a corner, but uh, I guess it kind of looks like he's going to play, but he has an ongoing insane legal situation that I, there's no case study on that one. I have no idea what's going to, what's going to happen with it, but it hasn't gone away yet. So, and, uh, you know, we, we saw what happened to DeAndre Baker. It seems like that they are facing two different things. It seems like <sighs> they are. And that's the kind of concern because they were both there. Right. And it's like, why is this one guy getting threatened with 10 years mandatory minimum? And the other one is in practice right now. Some it's like, maybe he really did get out somehow. I mean, you know, the, 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 something could have had like some kind of deal could have happened. Who knows? Um, but if Baker's looking at 10 years, I'm kind of considering everything touch and go with Quentin Dunbar, because that sounds like, well, what if someone new talks? Like what if some, I don't know, some, something could change. I feel like, uh, anyway, if he's on the field and it's insane that this is coming down to this, but if he's on the field, <laughs> he's really good. Right. He could be a really, he could be significantly better than Shaq Griffin and Shaq Griffin was already good at the other corner spot. The problem is when Quinton Dunbar isn't on the field, Trey Flowers is easy to beat. Like he he gives up a lot of pass interference calls. He can't really take on much coverage responsibility, the little re- ground that he does cover. He doesn't cover very well. So if Dunbar is out of that game, I love the shootout scenario here. And the shootout scenario could happen either way because, you know, the Julio still could just overrule anybody in sure. any given game. Um, it's just that if he's running against Trey Flowers, it's a wrap. Whereas against Dunbar, it's more like uh, I guess I got to leave open the possibility that Julio, you know, doesn't have a upper range outcome here. But if he does, he goes nuts, and then you can start moving Ridley to the other side away from Griffin because Seattle doesn't move their corners. Uh, if they don't put, if you just run your guy away from Griffin, they won't send Griffin after. Okay, interesting. If they put Ridley on the outside against Flowers, he's beating him to all to hell. Uh, Hayden Hurst, I don't know how I think he'll do against like guys like Jamal Adams, and uh, those those linebackers are pretty rangy, so we'll see. But he could do well. Uh, Gage should have a good matchup in the slot. I don't think Gage is good, but the matchup should be fine. If the shootout scenario happens with the with the Falcons instigating it, then that forces Seattle to take up their fourth quarter offense sooner than they want to. And that's how you get the Russell Wilson upper range outcome, or so I figure. So, I don't know. That could happen even if Dunbar is is in the game. But if Dunbar is somehow out, I'm going at this game very aggressively. Yeah. Uh, and even if even if not, one of one of Julio or Ridley should should be I don't know good in this game just from the volume. I guess. I I would imagine so too. Uh, when I made my my dummy lineup over on on DraftKings just to kind of get it filled out, get my like initial um, feel for the slate. Um, it was hard to go away from a Russ uh, Metcalf stack. I mean that that combined is only twelve thousand eight hundred over there. Against... I like Greg Olson too. I think he's like four thousand or forty two hundred. Okay, so that that's even um, you know further down than, than a Hayden Hurst at forty three hundred. I, w- I was drawn to Hurst at that price tag yeah. um, as well, but um, you it's know, probably a really good cash game play because the uh, the, the Falcons are going to have to throw. It's the only question is whether the Falcons throw and the Seahawks throw, but the Falcons will definitely throw. Yes, so n- not really touching that backfield. Um, I think that Matt Ryan would be a fine play at sixty seven hundred. Um, again, the, the slightly tougher matchup, but the volume should be there. Um, and you know, again, if if the Dunbar situation plays out in, in a way where he's not out there then I think that total green light for for this uh Atlanta passing offense but I I do fit uh kind of have this one circled as one of the more like fantasy relevant um matchups of, of week one I don't really 
anticipate the Falcons being all that interesting in terms of like uh, making a push for the playoffs or the division um, this year. But from a fantasy perspective, um, I love the Falcons this year. I think that there's a, there's a lot to like about uh, what they have in the receiving core. I think that. Uh, you know we've been we've been over this plenty, but I, I think that Calvin Ridley is really going to be one of those true uh, breakout candidates um, this year. Um, do you have any thought maybe on say say the game goes a little bit differently? The, the Seahawks don't really have to um, push push it into gear where they're into that fourth quarter offense where where Russ you know attempts like half the throws that that he attempted for the entire game that sort of thing um, and the Seahawks end up leaning on the ground game do you like Carson there as a, as a sneaky play yeah I like Carson as just a general play just on the just because of the nature of his workload uh, and, and that I think it'll continue to include pass catching opportunities I think Seattle's backfield depth and the depth they pursued there is just an acknowledgement of the fact that Carson gets beat up the way he runs. But when you're talking one game samples, I mean, he's he could he can function as a running back one on, on the days that he isn't hurt usually. I, I think so too. In, in, uh, in season long terms, yeah. Right, right. So um, I should be should be set there. I mean, it, you're not going to bench him, obviously, um, week one or anything like that. It's just a ma- matter of if he has any any DFS intrigue for you. Yeah, um, I probably won't have a lineup with him, but that's only to do with kind of the way that the numbers spread out this week. Like, I, I think he's a good play, and I definitely considered him. But when I start to go for my my pet favorite picks i start to need to pick other running backs than chris carson yeah that that definitely makes sense and then when it comes to the line movement um of late this game started out as the seahawks a one-point favorite uh it has moved up to them being a two-point favorite um that's where this line has settled in um the over under has gone up from 48 and a half uh when it opened to 49 so not not a ton of movement on on the total there I, i think i would be kind of intrigued by um by taking the over in this one um, but at the same time I do wonder if defenses are going to be ahead of offenses just in general um, to, to begin this season with, with um with the way that the um, COVID camp has kind of uh, progressed but at the same time you can make the counter argument I mean you can't extrapolate everything from the college ranks into the pro ranks but uh, Monday night if you were watching the the primetime game between Navy and BYU uh, you saw where Navy did not have those live reps enough, whereas BYU did, and BYU just ran all over uh, Navy. So if the defenses aren't really gelled and, and used to you know getting contact to the ground and everything like that, uh, then the offenses could be, could be way ahead. So I'm really interested to see, not just from, from this game perspective, but just overall trends acro- across the NFL, um, if there's kind of a lopsided learning curve on, on one side of the ball or the other. Yeah, I don't know if if we can expect the same thing in the NFL, but if I remember right, Bill Connolly has actually done a bunch of research at the college level about how experience and especially not just experience, but like returning continuity and experience in the secondary uh, has an especially predictive effect yep. on how that secondary plays, like even more so than the defensive line and the linebackers, even though the same tr- dynamic would apply to them. It seems to especially show up in the secondary. So uh, for what it's worth, I mean, in the Falcons case, it's like they got the AJ Terrell at corner. They got Keanu Neal coming back. He hasn't really played with any of these guys in years, even though he's been on the team the whole time. 
and there was some some other change in the secondary. I thought uh, like whoever replaced True. Oh no, maybe that's uh, Oliver who's still at the other spot. I don't know. I I don't think the the Falcons have been coached well on defense at all during Dan Quinn's time there. And in this particular scenario, it's it's hard to imagine him having them ready. Yeah. So like you said, um, you know, if it, if it does transfer over in terms of. Uh, continuity in the secondary being sticky on a, on a year-to-year uh, performance basis uh, then the Falcons could, could definitely be in trouble there and I, I foresee some big plays um, f- coming from the Seattle uh, receiving core on Sunday uh, let's move on over to the Ravens versus the Browns um, that comes up Sunday one o'clock eastern time uh, the Ravens eight point favorites in this one the over-under checking in at 48 and a half money line uh, Ravens minus 375 the Browns plus 290 uh, so let's dive in here. Um, what is your expectations on these post-hype Browns coming in uh, to Baltimore to, to face the Ravens team that that obviously had their season uh, end in a disappointing fashion uh, last season uh, relative to their fourteen and two um, uh, regular season record? Well, most of the objective indicators are pretty bad looking for the Browns, and so it looks like an earned spread. You know, eight points that that seems fair. Even even if it's even if it's kind of saying like the Browns don't have much of a shot, it just kind of seems fair to say that because they're they're being like rebuilt in live time, even though they're they're ostensibly competing more in live time too. Like it's it's uh like like Kevin Stefanski is definitely trying to win games right now, and, and but I think that has more to do realistically with like making a winning culture. Their roster still isn't that good. Like it has a few really strong points, and then there's just sort of these certain regards of the game where they just aren't very threatening. Whereas the Ravens are kind of a machine for the modern football game and playing them in Baltimore isn't an additional problem that any team needs. So I think that, uh, you know, if, if Lamar is on his game, I don't really know what the Browns defense can do about it. And I don't know what the Browns defense can do about the Ravens running back rushing threat either. I'm just not really sure they can stop anything about the Ravens. But I do wonder if there's a way – like I have to believe the only way the Browns can win this game is if they try to do what the Titans did and basically just feed Chubb and then I guess Hunt as necessary to try to get some points on the board in a way that uses as much clock as possible and keeps Lamar Jackson on the sideline. Because if you must go against Lamar Jackson, you'd, you'd rather go against him when he doesn't have that run fake threat. And the less time there is, the, the, the more the more important that they score on this particular drive, the, the more likely they are to start throwing. I still think you, you don't do well when that happens because Marquise Brown is going to be way better this year. In this particular game, I don't know what the hell the Browns can possibly do about Mark Andrews. Like I, f- I feel like he's... Yeah, the, the Delpit loss, I think, was one of those underrated ones that, that you may not hear about, you know... At, as like the headlining problem for for the Browns, but I, I think that Grant Delpit was going to be a, a, one of the steals of the draft for the Browns in the secondary, um, and for him to to go down with the Achilles, um, that's not going to to help their defense on up the seam. Yeah, and their linebackers are kind of a big goof too. So uh, I don't know. Like what I want to do, I think in my tournament lineups, like I don't think I'm going to have a whole lot of Lamar in my tournaments just because he's going to be really. Uh, chalky and for good reason and uh it's just that in, in the one the one w- way that i feel like lamar hits his high range of outcomes is if he's running and running for touchdowns and i feel like they don't need to do that anymore i feel like they can just kind of 
let the, the let the defense just remember the outside run threat that Lamar presents, and still just keep giving kind of those those halfback dives to Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins. The defense can't just stop pretending Lamar, or they can't just start pretending Lamar isn't on the field and start zeroing in on that part of the game because uh, then that just leaves them that much more vulnerable to the Lamar threat in the first place. So there's nothing to gain by betting that Lamar won't be a threat, uh, if that makes any sense. And so I think, you know, and it makes sense to limit the amount of hits that he takes too, especially when he's as good of a passer as he is. So I can imagine Lamar's price right now kind of including the rushing production, but I think it's going to decline a little bit. Um, I'm guessing he scores like 28 to 35 or something fantasy points. Um, but on DraftKings, I might want to go a little cheaper in my tournaments and, and hope for something like that. But I will say, if people are making Lamar lineups, they might want to consider putting Chubb in that lineup because I just don't think it's possible for Baker Mayfield to keep up with Lamar Jackson in a shootout. And if the if the Browns are making it close enough for the Ravens to say, like, all right, we're taking out all the guns, we're, 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 we're giving you everything we got now, like, that's when Lamar can really go nuts. And I feel like the only way the Browns to keep it that close would be if Chubb is doing, like, 180 and two touchdowns or something and, like and that. That's exactly how it happened at M&T Bank Stadium last year. The Browns went in and actually they, they thumped the Ravens pretty good um, in September. It was their last loss up until um, the postseason. Um, and a lot of that script kind of lines up with, with what your analysis was there where uh, Chubb uh, ended up having that huge day. I do think that the Ravens will have a an improved uh, rushing defense th- this year. Um, I, I think that they're kind of ragtag in season like they had to make a lot of moves after that Browns game to to try to like just patch up um that that inside linebacking core and I think you the, know, the addition of Patrick Queen um, is going to be a huge addition for, for in the middle of that defense. I got to say, I feel like Queen could be in trouble in this one because he's like a 229 pound underclassman. And uh, he's he's be- he's probably like, I think, more Austin Hooper. Uh, like he'll, he'll probably be really good in coverage against him. But I don't know. I feel like especially since they have new pieces like they this is, these are good pieces that are, you know, they're going to be good players. But as far as that first game, first, you know, dress rehearsal kind of dynamic, it's like they got Calais Campbell, Derek Wolf. Those are new starters. Uh, I don't did McPhee play much last year. I don't really remember. Him he was much. like uh, a late season addition. Okay, so like there's him and, and Ferguson in the one spot. I guess that's kind of the same as last year. But uh, both Queen and LJ Fort are new starters at inside linebackers. So if if Chubb's going to get them on the road, this game is as good of a chance that, that he'll have in years. You know. Interesting. Okay. Um, anything else to to add on to uh, this matchup before we move on? Uh, there should be volume for Odell Beckham and maybe Jarvis Landry too, maybe Hooper too, but I just don't know how any of them is going to do well. The matchup is brutal in each case. Um, and on the Brown side, watch out if uh, Greedy Williams is out because that makes Miles Boykin a much easier play in my opinion. Whoa. I think Duvernay would do better there, uh, but if Greedy if Greedy Williams is out, then they have like Miles Boykin's just going to run right past whoever they have, and Lamar still could just throw it to Andrews and Brown because they're going to be open too. Uh, but Boykin will never have an easier matchup than this game if uh, greedy williams is out i don't know what his deal is with his shoulder though okay so that that's definitely something to keep an eye out because if, if that opens up the, the tournament uh possibility for a guy like boykin that can really change the the structure of your lineup and, and if it hits of course um you can really really separate yourself from the pack that way uh, let's move on over to the jets going up against the bills um so the bills Pretty pretty nicely favored in this one. They are six and a half uh, point favorites. 
uh, that that line hasn't really changed much at, at all. Uh, the Bills minus 286 on the money line and the over under uh, one of the lower ones on the slate here. And it, it's dipped down two points since the opening. Uh, it opened at 41 and a half down now to 39 and a half as the implied total. So um, Vegas doesn't really think that there's going to be a whole lot of um, offensive fireworks in this one. Man, that is a that's a low one. Uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense because like the the Bills can beat this Jets offense, but only one way, and that one way is Josh Allen going deep to Stephon Diggs and John Brown. They'll get open. Allen can make those throws, but he doesn't always. So being at home, that that probably help, I know that's probably good for Allen's chances, right? Like if. If he's feeling calm and collected, I assume his accuracy, stay, you know, kind of airs toward the better. So uh, those outside corners can't cover Diggs or Brown deep. But I don't like if Brian Poole was really good last year. He's the Jets slot corner. He can kind of shut down Beasley in that short and intermediate. And I don't know, like Diggs can get open in that short and intermediate. I don't think Brown really does that though. So uh, you can imagine if Allen isn't hitting that deep ball, he could kind of go cold for a couple drives here and there. And in the meantime. The Jets' run defense should be quite good. It was last year anyway. And so as much as I think Singletary and Moss are good, I don't think this is a good matchup for them. And if they do get going, it has to be because like the Jets' defense just spent so much time on the field, which could totally happen. Uh, but they'd have to spend so much time on the field that they kind of sort of lose their nature and become just kind of a worn-out version of themselves. And in that case... I feel like Moss especially can kind of get going on them. Would that, would that also, you know, I don't know... If that jives necessarily, if uh, Josh Allen were to go cold for for certain stretches, then I think that the Jets defense could, you know, kind of be bailed out by virtue of uh, Allen's inaccuracy and then maybe not get as worn down by by the run game as uh, possible. Yeah, I I, like I I really think the Bills can kind of just do what they want in this game if Allen is hitting those deep passes, because I think they'll always be open. But there might not be much else open. So, yeah, if he's not hitting it, there, there could be a problem. Even even if Allen's – the good news is with Allen, uh, even if his uh, accuracy is off on those plays, he can start turning some of those deep drops into long scrambles too. Like he's he, he can kind of – he has second options. Like he has backup plans that other quarterbacks who can't run wouldn't have in his case. So he can, he can find ways around it. And the other thing is I think the Bills' defense is going to really make things tough on Darnold. I can't really imagine the Jets running for a whole lot. Um, but the one way to beat this Bills defense, in my opinion, is getting s- s- uh, length and speed on the field, uh, ideally escaping those outside jams. Um, but a, a big receiver, I think, can a big who a big wide receiver, one who is good, someone like Kenny Galladay or something. I think that kind of receiver can beat Tredavious White, but the Jets don't have any receiver like that. Uh, and they can just put Tredavious White on whoever they think the best one is, and that guy is probably shut down now. Uh, the way you can beat them is the other corner on the outside, be it Josh Norman or Levi Wallace. You go deep on them, but Tredavious White covers so well they can give him, that guy safety help, but you still need to beat that guy. And I don't think the Jets have anyone who can do it. Uh, Jameson Crowder caught like 12 passes <laughs> against them in last year, I think, and something like that could happen again. But even he is going to have to deal with you know really good – safety play disciplined safety play really good linebackers he's not going to be very efficient like he might get those ppr 
like stat padding catches, but he's he's not really going to generate much. Uh, could be a similar thing with Herndon, if only because like I don't know where the ball can go if not those two. Right. Yeah. The it's not a a pretty picture as far as the the Jets receiving core um, depth depth chart is concerned there. So it it is definitely possible that, that, that Herndon yeah. crushes as far as the the volume goes. Um, anything else to to really dive into it when it comes to this matchup i just feel like it's going to be a bills dominated game for the most part i I feel like the jets um if they score more than 13 points it'll be a win almost for for them i I just i have very very low expectations for this jets offense uh in in general this season and i think starting out uh in buffalo is not a, a a fortuitous bounce for them I think Darnold will turn out to be good, but even a good quarterback with a supporting cast this bad against a defense this good does not project well. So uh, I think the Bills defense is about to turn a corner and probably at Darnold's expense largely. Yep. So that, looking for a uh, a pretty long day for, for Gang Green um, there on Sunday going up to Orchard Park. Uh, let's move on over to uh, the marquee matchup. No, um, close close though uh the the Raiders going up against the the Panthers let's dive into the dumpster yeah well I think this game could actually be uh proved pretty important for the DFS results on Sunday because it's not just that we have dubious bad defenses it's that we have uh neither offense is regarded very highly so the prices of pretty much everyone involved are kind of low objectively low for I won't say the number of not the median projection of, of the number of snaps in this game and the amount of yardage in this game, but the upper range outcome version of this game, a lot of plays, depending on how the Panthers coaches especially behave. Like we already know John Gruden will always be an anti-tempo coach. Like if he has his way, the offense will play 35 snaps. They'll sit a, a full minute and a half between every snaps. Uh, but luckily we have things like the play clock that make him move slightly faster than that. <laughs> But if he has the lead, if Josh Jacobs just stomps all over the, the Carolina defense and the Raiders go up 10, 14, nothing, and it's, it's uh, you know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes left in the second quarter, that might be a game where the Raiders run 40 snaps and the Panthers run, I don't know, 60, 65. But the Panthers, because their offense might not be good, that doesn't like, – like they won't necessarily be able to just go up-tempo and play catch-up the rest of the way. You need to get first downs. Uh, to make to make those kind of uh, garbage time stats even happen. And I don't know how much we can take for granted with that. I feel like it should be there, though. I, I would be surprised if Teddy so bad, uh, especially when he has receivers like DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson to throw to, and with, with the McCaffrey threat, of course. it's. I think it should be enough against a defense like the Raiders, which I don't hold in a high regard at all. Where, uh, where the are they most easily beaten, the, the Raiders, defensively? Well, well, last year, they, it was LaMarcus Joyner who was getting lit up constantly, and he was playing the slot. I don't know if he will look better with Jonathan Abram behind him this year than whoever the safety was last year. I don't know if Joyner was ever good in the first place. I, I never really understood why he was valued, and but uh, the NFL kind of liked him uh, coming out of Florida State. And then when he was a free agent from the Rams, the Raiders paid up. But he did terrible last year as the slot corner, uh, while Trayvon Mullen and... Uh, Daryl Worley or something stupid like that were the outside corners last year and I think they were expecting Damon Arnett to play outside opposite Trayvon Mullen this year Damon Damon Arnett famous for breaking everyone's mock draft 
Yeah, that was such a bad pick. Mayock <laughs> is a fool. Like people, people are doing this thing like, "Hey, man, Mike Mayock might surprise you." I would. He's a sharp guy. I wouldn't want to, you know, say that he's his picks are bad. I'd I'd defer to his judgment. It's like, shut up. There is no worse GM in the league, and the league is full of absolute <laughs> fool GMs. Mayock's the worst one. So uh, I'm not going to give any player that he selects the benefit of the doubt, especially not Damon Arnett. Uh, that was a terrible pick. Anyway, Damon Arnett's probably worse than Daryl Worley. Don't know how good Mullen is. Mullen might be pretty good. It's hard yeah. to tell. Um, but in any case, I feel like DJ Moore, I don't know. I can't find where the Panthers are running DJ Moore. I think they should run him in the slot, but I don't know whether they are. Uh, in any case, if he's going against Joyner, he's just he's catching like 12 passes. Yes, uh, I, I, like I really like him this week. He's only 6,600 on, over, on, over on DK too. Yeah, I really like him. And if the thing is, if the Panthers' offense is good, and especially if the Panthers can get a lead early in the game, then Gruden has to abandon stupid anti-tempo philosophy because it turns out when you actually need to score points, it's not viable anymore. And it's funny that he can't extrapolate that principle further. But uh, he even would acknowledge, well, like, yeah, we're losing. We have to try to score points now, I guess. And if that scenario happens, then both sides could go nuts because Carr should definitely be able to throw on this Panthers secondary. This Panthers secondary is awful. Uh, I think Shaq Thompson at linebacker is not very good either. So I'm not convinced that he'll make things difficult in the middle of the field. I think Waller could go off. Uh, Waller, I mean, any of those Raiders receivers should should be fine. I mean, I, I guess Ruggs against Dante Jackson isn't an advantage for Ruggs. But Brian Edwards against anybody, I think he'll beat them. Uh, Hunter Renfro in the slot, probably going to get open. Uh, Darren Waller could have a big game, but they need Carr to throw the ball a lot. And I don't think that's what Gruden will look to do. They, they, you need Teddy to have a good game for, for the Raiders pass catchers to do what they're capable of. Okay. All right. I, I see what you mean. Where, wherein, um, you know, if you w- wake in the, the Raiders from their, you know, kind of slumbering pace, um, that then, then we can start to see that upper range of outcomes for, um, those receivers or, or Darren Waller. Um, I guess if you're looking from just like a, a cash, per, cash game perspective on this one, uh, who would your main targets be? I guess Teddy and uh, I don't know. It's it's still risky. Like the, this this I hate what the front office for the Panthers are doing. So I don't trust any particular aspect of their judgment. I do think Rule and Brady and Snow are all pretty good coaches. So if I'm trying to be optimistic, they should be able to have a decently voluminous offense against a defense that is not very good. Like I feel like even if they're not good, they should be able to do that. So Teddy's cheap. If the Raiders are any competitive team at all, they should score points pretty easily. The Panthers' defense might be the worst in the league. Yep. So uh, I guess I, f- I feel like Teddy has to get you like at least 18 points in this one. But it, it might be like an ugly game, even if he does have a good game. But he might have a good game, too. The, the Raiders suck, you know? I'm interested to see how much uh, airtime the uh, Red Zone channel is going to give this one. Because it, it could be ugly, but Either at the same time. none. <laughs> or it could be one of those ones where it's it's so ugly that it you can't look away uh, type of matchup there. So um, that'll be fun. Um, I do like Darren Waller in this one. I, I like uh, Josh Jacobs. Um, I, I'm having too hard of a time deciding between um, 
Ruggs and Edwards to play either of them confidently um, in a lineup. But um, Edwards will draw targets at a higher per snap rate, I think. Okay, all right, and he could beat any of those corners with the Panthers. I don't, I don't think Ruggs can get open on Jackson that easily. Right, because when speed's your calling card, and then you go up against a speedy corner, you know, um, it, that that trump card gets negated a little bit. And Dante Jackson, definitely one of the faster corners in the league, not as fast as, as Ruggs, of course, but um, should About be able to hang with him. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's move on over. We got the Bears going up against the Lions. Uh, and this one in Detroit, over under checking in at 43 and a half. Uh, Detroit, three point favorites in this one. Uh, their money line, uh, Detroit minus 155 in this matchup, a divisional matchup in this one. Uh, we just remember the David Blau Thanksgiving game so fondly from a year ago um, in Detroit. This should, this should look a little bit uh, different, however, this time around. Yeah, I guess a few things are different, you know, like TJ Hawkinson is seemingly healthy or, or, you know, at least functionally healthy. Like he's, he's at least George Kittle healthy. Uh, even if he's still got like a screwed up ankle, he's, he's a psycho tight end. Iowa man healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Just jam corn into the swollen joint and then it'll eventually stop, uh, screaming. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's, he's looking good by all accounts and his prospect profile makes him clearly the type of player that I think you want to invest in now while his price is low because there's just no reason to think it'll stay low. So this matchup isn't obviously good for Hawkinson, but I feel like his price point in a game where the Lions, like I kind of feel like they should cover three pretty easily, to be honest. I know Mitch Trubisky has had his only, other than that six touchdown game against the Buccaneers, Mitchell Trubisky has only ever done well against the Lions. I think I think we can kind of say that now. It's like that, that explains his entire career background he has three good games against the lions and that six touchdown game that inflate his numbers and then everything else has been awful but i feel like even if that's even if there's some signal to that it's like well now mitch is due for his not so great day against the team that he always does great against like i refuse to believe he's good enough to be that good for reasons related to him and i don't want to bet on him Uh, i still think the bears are are going to look goofy because Matt Nagy has gone insane yep. about kickers. Yep. And uh, yeah, David Montgomery, I guess is going to play. I don't know how I even feel about that. It's like if it, if it was looking like an injury that could have kept him out another two weeks, what are the odds that he's really a hundred percent now? Uh, I guess he could be. And if he is, I guess I like his setup here. I, like, I think he, his team is clearly the favorite. He has the much better quarterback. Uh, they should get first downs even, um, or yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm switching. I'm switching things up here. Uh, I'm, I'm just start saying like I like carry on quite a bit actually, because um, he's uh he's gonna be uh, mega chalk I think on D, on DraftKings like he's 5400 and I guess we got to keep an eye on Swift. Uh, he was limited in practice yesterday, but uh, if 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 he's if he's in your cash game lineup, I think that's about as good as you can do uh, with that 5400. Um, so, so I like, I like Stafford's setup with, with carry on there and those, those receivers can get the first downs that they needed. Um, but yeah, even, even in Montgomery's case though, as much as I, I worry about the Trubisky part of it, Allen Robinson is good enough to sometimes overrule Trubisky and maybe Anthony Miller is about to turn a corner too. So those two might be good enough to, to be good despite Trubisky. And, and so I think all those guys kind of look fine. Like uh, Allen Robinson's got to be one of the top receiver plays this week. Um, but yeah, I still feel like Stafford, sh- at least if he's playing like last year, I think he should at home be able to 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 come out ahead of this Bears defense, even if it's pretty good. Okay, yeah, I, th- I think this this is a solid Bears defense. But like you said, uh, Stafford uh, 
looked to be really, really settling into a groove before his injury last year. Um, I want to circle back quickly and get like a a bit of like a check status report on um, this Lions backfield. I know you and I both have plenty of DeAndre Swift shares. I mean, what what is like, you know, taking the the longer view, you know, beyond just week one, because when you invest heavily in rookies, you have to understand that you could be in for a slower start to the season in terms of the volume. Um, but I mean, where's your concern level when it comes to Swift now? I guess it's pretty high just because I feel like we don't have any real information. We just have at best conflicting information. And if, 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 um, I don't know, part of it too, is it's like in training camp, they, there were these reports like he's kind of back in practice today and then he wouldn't practice for a couple of days. And it's hard to tell from the outside whether that was a treatment plan they had or if it's like they tried to break him back in and he was like, ah, my hip and he like regressed for a few days. Because if that's what's been going on, then that kind of sucks. Those situations are rarely good. Like they, they kind of they can kind of get bad uh, in unique kind of, uh, you know, no notice ways. And the, the thing is, though, he's listed as a limited practice participant. Yes. Uh, on Wednesday. And generally, if you tell me, you know, here's a hypothetical. DeAndre Swift is limited in practice all week. Do you think he play, plays this week? I would say, yeah, of course he will. But I don't know w- what kind of shenanigans the Lions are pulling. It's hard to get any reliable information about, you know, what they think they're going to do, uh, what, what has been going on with Swift's recovery, things like that. Uh, or even for that matter, carry on Johnson's knee. It's like maybe I'm stupid for saying him in cash games if if Swift is out because maybe carry on. Maybe that Adrian Peterson signing has something to do with them having reservations about carry on. I have no idea. But uh, I think that if Swift is, especially if Swift is a full practice participant, then you assume that he plays because that I just can't imagine a scenario where he's a full practice participant and doesn't play. And then if he does play. As long as he's not like a game time decision, then as long as then is if he does play, he should play at least twenty snaps, and I feel like that's enough to make Swift someone that you play in season long PPR. Okay. Uh, if it's not if it's standard scoring, I don't even really know what would uh, like. You don't really want Swift in standard scoring, generally speaking. But in PPR, it's like he only needs twenty snaps. I feel like because they ca- they have to get on the ball. He's not out there blocking. It's like he's going to if he plays 20 snaps, he might get 10 carries and three catches, you know. Right. So that that's that's an, an important detail when it when it comes to um, where to deploy him and, and uh, you know, what what the kind of setup uh, could be. So hopefully he logs a full practice here or two um, and then we'll be able to, to get that snap count because we, we figure that that he'll be able to do well um, if he's on the field ju- just enough. I mean, even just like a third of the snaps uh, should work out fine for him. Um one uh, like last detail I wanted to, to just toss out there um, for for your lineup considerations or for PPR um, formats. Uh, the Lions were like the worst team against opposing running backs in the passing game last year. Um, opposing running backs averaged uh, the highest yards per target, 7.6. Um, they had eight touchdowns, which was second most in, in the league. Um, so uh, maybe Tariq Cohen is someone to, to keep an eye on, especially if David Montgomery not at full go and, and not able to you know put, put forth his normal uh, workload. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, even last year, Cohen had 100 targets, right? So uh, if you're talking that kind of target count in PPR scoring uh, at a certain point, you know, if his, if his salary goes below a certain point, then it just becomes kind of 
reasonable to consider in, in the matchup gives you further reason reason to consider it here yeah definitely so so keep an eye if you, if you need uh you know a flex consideration um something like that for your full point ppr type of formats um cohen someone to to keep an eye on for sure uh just checking in at, at 4900 over on DraftKings. uh before we get on to our next game we got a message from a couple of our sponsors so for, first off leading off we got our friends over at underdog say hello to your new favorite place to play fantasy football for real money underdog fantasy with underdog all you need to do is the fun part draft forget about injuries trades waivers and setting lineups just set it and forget it and wait for the winnings to come in this year they will have a one million dollar tournament that's right just draft the best team and you have a shot at one million dollars in prizes sign up for underdog today and enter the best ball mania for a chance to win that one million dollars in prizes by going to underdogfantasy.com or searching for underdog fantasy in your app store be sure to enter the code rotowire after you make your first deposit again that promo code is rotowire Uh, and then we also have a message from our friends over at owner's box do you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports but do you live for the quick hit of dfs then be the first to try weekly fantasy sports or wfs on owner's box owner's box is kicking off the 2020 nfl season in a big way by giving everyone 25 owner's bucks to try the game for free in addition owner's box will be matching users first deposit up to 50 dollars Weekly Fantasy Sports keeps players engaged through live drafting, social interaction, and a new layer of strategy that puts the power back in your hands. Compete with your opponent over seven days of fierce competition and get paid out weekly. New public and private contests start every day. The Owner's Box game provides users with a fun and engaging rule set that revolves around a set number of game opportunities by roster position. Your p- players earn you points throughout the week, but only if you have enough games available at that position. Owner's Box allows uh, owners to engage socially in multiple different ways with the community, add friends, create groups, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Sign up today to try weekly fantasy sports for free, but that's not it. Each weekly fantasy sports contest you participate in will give you one entry into a signed Drew Brees jersey giveaway. In honor of the NFL season, Owner's Box will be also matching your first-time deposit up to $50. Head on over to www.ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your rewards and join the new wave of fantasy sports okay mario let's keep things rolling here we were just talking about some rookie running backs in this uh detroit bears game we got another one of some serious intrigue for this week but there's a lot um at stake here because indianapolis the the colts check in as eight point favorites which could you know put a serious cap on on you know someone who has made a lot of waves in the fantasy community over the last week or so uh james robinson of the jaguars so um let's get a a general breakdown of this game um but i want to i want to start things out with your expectations on the rookie running backs both with robinson um and with jonathan taylor on the other side well i'm having a little trouble with this game because historically i guess this one's a pretty close one between these teams when they play in Jacksonville. Uh, I was looking through some uh, Jacksonville fan Twitter, and I know this isn't. Uh, Why would you do that to yourself? Well, I was just trying to see what they thought about the, the matchup, and uh, a couple people were like, eh, "We're gonna win," but a lot of them were just like, 
uh, yeah, it's not so good. I don't know about this. And um, but yeah, I was I was surprised that some of them here said like, we, in Jacksonville we're fine. We're going to lose every other game this year, but we're going to be good in Jacksonville this one game, uh, which was surprising to me. Uh, I think they're wrong. Like <laughs> as much as uh, I might maybe I should look at what they said and, and reconsider. I still think they're wrong. Because I think this Colts team is fundamentally different than the ones in recent years. I don't think we correctly describe them if we look to the past too much. And that's almost singularly due to DeForest Buckner showing up. I don't think people really appreciate how good of a player he is and, and the kind of ways that he can he can he can kind of just give you new foundational potential as a, as a defense. Like you can just imagine new scenarios entirely in ways that just very few players can let you do because he, he can pl- he is athletic enough to threaten from kind of the edge of the defensive line he's big enough and good enough at anchoring to basically play a, like a nose kind of function uh he can give you a lot of snaps uh, he, which is to say he can eat up a lot of blocks and, and do it as an athlete that that doesn't threaten the pocket the way normally someone like him who, who takes up as many blocks as him would. So I can see a lot of players suddenly looking better on that defense because of him. Uh, Justin Houston, Danico Autry, two guys who were already good before he got there. Darius Leonard is having just like the most insane linebacker career ever so far, pretty much. Uh, there's other, they got two other good linebackers. I think Kenny Moore versus LaVisca Chenault will be a really interesting matchup. I know everybody looks at Kenny Moore and it's like, he's five nine one ninety. LaVisca Chenault's going to run all over him. I don't think he will. I think this could actually be kind of like a rude awakening sort of thing for Chenault, who, like, the next time they play each other, I bet he'll do this first game. I think he might be surprised that corners like Kenny Moore exist, because they generally don't. Like, Kenny Moore's a pretty unique uh, nickel corner. Like, he's more in that kind of Tyron Matthew, just kind of, like, wreck stuff mm-hmm. on, on the inside of the defense kind of corner. And I, I don't know if Chenault saw a guy like him before who will really just hit him in the face, even though he's smaller than him. Um, so that if, if Chenault can't get going, I think that puts all the pressure on Keelan Cole and uh, DJ Chark. And Chark is great. I think he can get something going even if Gardner Minshew struggles in this game. Um, Cole, I think, is good, but I, I don't think he can take on a high-volume sort of productive role. I think he would have his returns diminish if you had him catch more than like four or five passes in a game. And in the meantime, I don't think the Jaguars can run at all on this defense. Like I love James Robinson. Uh, I, I'm probably going to start him in season long where I have him, but I won't be using him in DFS. And I, I think this is just like a terrible matchup for him. I think that Colts defense is going to turn out to be one of the better ones in the league. And I think this game, uh, people are going to be a little bit surprised at how good they are. Okay. So with that in, in mind and, and the potential for Indianapolis is kind of putting the clamps on, on this Jaguars attack, um, across the board, what does that mean for the way that this, uh, Indianapolis offense is going to operate? You know, this is, uh, the Phillip rivers debut, yeah. uh, that they, they have a T Y Hilton that's, that's healthy. We don't know how long that will end up being the case. And then of course, again, they have a, a dynamic, uh, loaded backfield here with, with Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines. Yeah, so this game is going to be really annoying for me, even if it goes the way I'm describing it, because if it goes the way I'm describing it, I think Marlon Mack will actually have a bigger game. And, and t- pertinently for the, the the volume chasers out there, he'll have more touches and more snaps than Jonathan Taylor in this game. But I think it's because they'll entirely misinterpret the the reason for it. I think it'll be precisely the opposite of what they take away from it. Uh, they'll say, like, Marlon Mack had more touches. He had more snaps. Jonathan Taylor idiots what do you think now you think it's you think Jonathan Taylor's still here to start and I think they'll misread it because 
this is a garbage time game. If it's going the way I'm describing it anyway, it's a garbage time game. And that means the the ceremonial starter is more likely to see more touches because it's it's only a ceremonial start with Mac. I'm sorry. If they if they concede that the hot hand will decide something, which they did, uh, Frank Reich has always said, like, yeah, he, Marlon Mack's a starter. But of course we'll go with the hot hand. Then Marlon Mack's not the starter because we know who's going to get the hotter hand. This isn't something that's up to any sort of question. Jonathan Taylor will have the hotter hand. The question is whether they're serious about sticking with it. And I don't know why they wouldn't because especially when their quarterback is Phillip Rivers. Like, do you really want to be so arrogant as, as to play with the, the point margins by, by giving carries the precious carries that you have uh, to the running back who you know is worse? I don't see a scenario that plays out. But against the Jaguars, against this toothless opponent, here's a chance to throw Marlon Mack a bone, give him 20 carries because they know they don't need Taylor to win. And I can see with that said um, in the first half, I can see Taylor getting in on like every other series or something. I can see I can see Taylor's exposure in the game decreasing as they develop a lead. If if that uh, gives you any you know pic- picture of, of how I kind of see it going. Um, but Marlon Mack, I think, is the guy I'm picking in DFS this week because it's a chance to give him 20 carries that don't mean anything, and he'll do well because it's a great offensive line that he's working with, and the Jaguars' defense is trash against the run. Or at least it was like Joe Schobert's a good linebacker or whatever, but I don't think he can stop the flood that's coming for him. Yeah, it's going to be a mess uh, defensively there there in Jacksonville. A lot of a lot of missing pieces. It was so quick the the uh, dismantling of of what looked to be you know a defense that was going to be great for uh, the next five to ten years, something like that. But uh, yeah, not quite the same unit anymore. They got a couple interesting guys, but um, mostly gutted. And and I think that Indianapolis quite the opposite, especially along the offensive line. I think that they are going to just kind of lean on this Jaguars team, especially as uh, the game progresses. It will be interesting to see how uh, Reich approaches that um, that garbage time rotation and, and which way he wants to go with it. Because if, if it ends up uh, being like like you said, uh, Twitter is going to be uh, insufferable during that game yeah. and in the in the hours afterward. Here's, and here's the week call. afterward. Here's my call. I say Marlon Mack gets 18 to 22 carries for like 140 yards, one or two touchdowns, probably not much or anything as a receiver. Taylor gets nine or 10 carries for 100 yards and a 60 yard touchdown or something like that. Okay. I love it. And, uh, you know, unless you're a Jags fan, uh, then I think that uh, this uh, this all is is adding up uh, f- fairly well. And again, um, as far as the uh, Vegas impressions on this game, uh, the line has ballooned from um, Indianapolis minus six and a half to now Indianapolis uh, eight point favorites. Uh, that's over the course. And and uh, yeah, I think that they probably are going to be able to, to cover that, even though it is on the road. Um, let's keep things moving here. Let's get on over to the Packers going up against the Vikings in, in this one. I think the Vikings, you've pointed out several times that uh, the Vikings have really, really lost a lot defensively. Um, I think they lost a little bit more in terms of injuries um, earlier in this week. So uh, totally new cornerback rotation um, there for there for Minnesota. Um, might not be as effective on the edge. And so there's going to be more pressure on this Vikings offense to perform uh, over the course of the season. And it starts uh, Sunday against Green Bay. Yeah, uh, the Vikings are at home, which historically has been kind of important relative to the Packers. But I don't know if this is quite 
similar enough of a situation for it to matter as much to Green Bay, uh, especially with Daniil Hunter out. That's the best player. On, even even if Dalvin Cook is awesome, even if uh, whoever your favorite Viking is is great, that's probably the best player on the team right there and at one of the most positions on the field. So him being out, Everson Griffin being gone, Linval Joseph being gone, who a lot of people underrate Linval Joseph. He's one of the best defensive tackles of the past 10 years. Yep. He's gone to the Chargers. Eric Kendricks is still a monster. Uh, he's he's truly elite at linebacker, but we've never seen him be elite at linebacker without a defensive line like the ones that he's always had. So I'm worried about even him kind of losing something with the way this sets up. He'll still be good. He's still an elite coverage linebacker, if nothing else. But I, I do wonder if he'll get hits, like he'll get more blocking hands on him than he's he's used to with without Hunter and Linval Joseph kind of stressing the line. I don't maybe maybe it's nothing, um, but I think. Hunter being out in the entire Vikings cornerback rotation being new is enough for me to buy into the idea that actually the Packers should be favored here. Um, just because I, I think the Packers defense, while it'll give up yardage on the ground to Dalvin Cook, uh, and Dalvin Cook, by the way, I love in this setup because if they're really stupid enough to practice Justin Jefferson behind Ola B.C. Johnson, then the Vikings cannot score they can't throw the ball except to Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. BC Johnson's not going to draw targets at a useful rate. No. They're going to have to start going. They're going to. He's going to funnel things toward maybe Irv Smith, but if not Irv Smith, we know it's not funneling toward Rudolph. So it's going to have to funnel that much harder toward Thielen and Cook. So on DraftKings PPR scoring, especially, I love Cook's setup in this one. Even though I think the Vikings look ugly, I think he's in a setup to put up big numbers here. Maybe like league uh, league leading kind of numbers in Week One in this matchup. Um, and I say that even though I think the Packers will win because like, I don't think that highly of Rogers at this point, And I don't think any of his receivers aside from, well, I guess Lazard should be fine. Um, I do like Marquez, Lazard. Yeah. I can't see. I know they're, they're, they're getting back into Marquez Valdez Scantling, but I'm just not buying it. It's like, I'm sorry. If a 26 year old receiver is just now getting his like route releases and hand techniques where they should have been the whole time, I'm kind of chalking it up to the same kind of thing as like Tim Tebow's throwing motion is finally fixed. It's like <laughs> you just kind of you are who you are at this point and learning the answers to the test and doing the test better isn't the same as being better at taking tests. So I feel like Valdez Scantling is just going to mostly be a decoy. Uh, so I love Devonte Adams in this game. I mean, I, I have trouble ranking any receiver ahead of him. I'll rank Julio ahead of him if Quinton Dunbar's out. But if Dunbar's playing, I think Adams has to be the top receiver this week because uh, Green Bay has a bad or a, a slipping defense ahead of them in this one, but not many people who can attack it. It's just like Aaron Jones, Devonte Adams maybe a second running back, maybe Lazard. Right. So, you know, you mentioned on the other side when it comes to uh, the Minnesota offense and, and the potential for a, a kind of funneling effect of, of the uh, of the targets over to Adam Thielen. I think that that, that could be, you know, a, an extreme case of that um, for, yeah. for Green Bay when it comes to Devontae Adams. And then you have the added bonus, like you said, of uh, this Vikings defense just simply not having the cornerback personnel that's going to be able to to match up particularly well. So you're going to have you know a really high volume. I, I think you could probably argue that Adams is going to challenge for at least ten to twelve targets and and with yeah. the, with room for more. Um, and I would guess at least ten. Yeah. yeah, and he's going to be really efficient with them. Uh, I figure he's probably going to reach the end zone too. Um, so I like Adams a ton uh, this at week least seven as well. Catches, I feel like at least six. Like if he doesn't catch six passes, I'll just uh, I won't say i'll eat a hat 
but um, I'll say I'll eat a hat and then not do it if it doesn't happen. Okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to saying that. <laughs> um, any other um, uh, th- things you wanted to get, um, get out there about this game before we move on? Uh, not really. I love Dalvin Cook. Love Ad- Adams. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, we got the Dolphins going up against the Patriots. Um, the Patriots six and a half point favorites in this one, the over under checking in at 42, uh, New England with minus 295 on the money line in this one. Uh, so the Dolphins, we obviously know that they were a team on the upswing towards the end of last season, uh, had a, an important victory over the Patriots in week 17, uh, last year. Um, this time around, things are very, very different. Uh, New England does not have Tom Brady, as you might've heard, they have Cam Newton now. Um, and, there's just a lot of moving parts here. There's there's so much unknown with, especially with, with no preseason. Although I don't know how much New England really would have given away one way or the other in those type of games, but this this has to be a fundamentally different looking offense, right? Oh yeah, definitely. And it's going to be interesting, though. I, I don't know what the effect of Demir Bird on the Patriots offense will be because he's a player they haven't had before. I know they have Philip Dorsett, but even Dorsett is not as fast as Demir Bird. And it'll be interesting to see if that's just a decoy kind of thing, or if in a game like this, maybe they, maybe they line up. um, I don't know. You could have a play where it's like you you have Edelman line up outside and you put Demir Bird in the slot and you kind of do a pick route and it's maybe most times a pick route where you're trying to free up Edelman, but maybe this time it's Bird, and maybe the defense just bites twice on Edelman anyway, and you don't even need to set that pick. Because um, I, I don't know if if Belichick has a, or if McDaniel's have looked at that kind of possibility, and if if they passed on it previously because they just didn't really like the fit for Brady and his skill set. I feel like Newton is a better downfield and intermediate passer at this point in their careers if if he's healthy than Brady was the the last time uh, this team played Mm -hmm. so I could imagine more of a vertical sort of a few more deeper shots a few more intermediate kind of like lead throws in the intermediate that are are kind of like uh, quicker deep shots functionally Uh, like you get rid of it quickly for for how uh, even though it's intermediate like maybe it's a quick strike kind of thing that sets up like a sprint for the receiver stuff like that Um, not quite as many of these long developing drag routes with just like 10 picks set for Edelman every time Um, so we'll we'll see Uh, Edelman apparently is fine despite that knee thing and and he's going to definitely get targets it'll be interesting to see how the Dolphins try to handle him though because I would guess it's a bean again because Byron Jones isn't a slot guy. He doesn't shadow people into the slot. Xavier Howard could shadow in the slot, but if you're shadowing, you're shadowing Edelman, which is to say you're just playing Xavier Howard in the slot all game, and that sounds kind of weird too, so I don't know if I expect that. But if, um, if does New England have someone that you know can really make the Dolphins pay for allocating those sort of resources towards the slot? Well, it might not even work that well for those guys is the thing. It's like we know Jones and Howard are really good outside corners, and I'm pretty sure Howard has a history of shadowing. Um, but it's like he's he, even if he's better than the next corner at covering the slot, the next corner behind Howard uh, might be bad enough outside that they don't gain anything from moving Howard onto Edelman. So I don't know. Either – like I think Edelman will be fine in PPR is the point. I'm not really going at this game for DFS. There's too many pieces that I that I don't know what they are. Uh, I, I don't really like anybody on the Dolphins side. I, I think the, the Patriots defense, just because the secondary is really strong and they can kind of blitz with impunity, I think they'll be good enough 
to, to still be really good against a quarterback like Fitzpatrick and an offensive line that still might be very bad uh, for, for the Dolphins. So I don't like the Dolphins side. Um, I do like Sony Michelle for season long. Because yeah. I, I think I think the Patriots will hit them pretty hard on the ground here. I, the, 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 the Dolphins have a lot of new faces on their defense. And at corner, if you're talking man-to-man corner, that, that's like playing one-on-one basketball or something. It's like you can always do that. You don't need to play with the defense around you when you're playing a one-on-one game anyway. But guys like Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, uh, they hit Emmanuel Ogba. They got Raekwon Davis. They got uh, they traded Raekwon McMillan. Yep. And they signed a Landon Roberts. So that's a lot of new players. And if they're at all struggling with like the wide zone type looks or, or the, the misdirection kind of things, if they're tangling up their handoffs, uh, I still think Michelle is good enough to, to kind of bash them over and over, especially if if if, uh, if the Dolphins are at all concerned about the Cam Newton bootleg threat. Uh, well, I'm going to have to beep that out. Uh, no one's allowed to say nice things about Sony Michelle. That's like it's kind of the new rule, especially me. <laughs> um so yeah the the whole uh damian harris thing is really uh railroaded me briefly i'm i'm i still think harris has a good chance to be better and i think they'll split carries when he's back but this week like they're not getting burkhead 12 carries it's like it's got to be sony michelle okay i I like that call um i I think that um that that is definitely one for for people to to reconsider if if you know especially if you're like zero shares of of sony in in your drafts um you can definitely get um some exposure via the dfs route or if you have him in season long, start him and then trade him. If yeah, he has a good- yeah, he could be um, like a, a rich man's like Marlon Mack week one sell high candidate. Yeah, uh, sell them both. I meant to say that about Marlon Mack too. Sell him after this week. Yes, after by Jonathan Taylor after this week. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on over. We got the Eagles going up against the Washington Football Team. Uh, I do. It is fun to say the Washington football team. Um, so what let's are you? The Dan Snyder's. That's, everyone knows. <laughs> I'm it's, good. It's all his fault. Let's call. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> yeah, I think any of our Washington the listeners Eagles would, would are agree traveling with that. against Dan Snyder this week. Mm. And uh, all you need you to like do is them? watch that South Park episode. Although that, I guess, that was against the Cowboys. Where they had the whole Cowboys going up against Dan Snyder. Uh, the last South Park episode I watched where they reference a football team was the episode where they revealed Eric's mother, uh, father. Oh, man. So <laughs> it was the entire 1997 Denver. Broncos. It's been a minute. OK, uh, so, uh, yeah, you're not even familiar with the sarcastical canon then. Um, no, not at all. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> OK. All right. Let's get it. Let's get it back on the road here. Um, so when it comes to, to this matchup, you know, the, the Eagles for, for a good team, they've had a lot of kind of misfortunes, especially as far as the injury bug is, is concerned, you know, with, with Jalen Rager getting dinged up. Uh, so many losses along the offensive line over the course of this offseason. It's been really brutal as far as that attrition goes. And their offensive line was, you know, one of the driving forces behind uh, their window being as open as, as it is. And, you know, it was big help, obviously, in them winning the Super Bowl a few years back. Um, now it's a bit in trouble as far as that offensive line goes and and off air we have discussed uh this washington front and it could be you know something that presents some problems for this eagles uh offense and, and ends up kind of you know throwing a wrench in things yeah it's concerning even jason peters being available for left tackle isn't exactly reassuring to me it's like he was 38 years old and dillard was supposed to be the guy it wasn't it wasn't like they were planning on bringing peters back to replace dillard at some point so it's it's a real excuse me loss there brandon brooks probably the bigger loss yet even though it's not as new uh right guard you're you're not replacing that guy 
Uh, Jason Peters was previously the plan to, to do that, but uh, he's, he's a left tackle, of course, so they have a right guard question, too. And, I mean, I don't, what is the spread for this game? Uh, I feel like people are going to universally under uh, under rate Washington going into this just because they're kind of ugly and like the, the as an organization they're so dislikable but I think this is a really bad matchup for the Eagles actually because uh, or at least it's a dangerous one it's one that you should still win because Carson Wentz is probably way ahead of Dwayne Haskins and he's Carson Wentz has a lot more weapons to work with than Dwayne Haskins does but people are not giving that Washington front uh, the front four and each of its third men at defensive tackle and end, which is uh, Matt Ioannidis, who's like a t- totally a Pro Bowl level defensive tackle. He's coming off the bench. They got uh, Ryan Kerrigan coming off the bench. He's still at least above average as an edge rusher. Chase Young, Montez Sweat could be kind of like like Chase. Chase Young is just like as good as any defensive end prospect I can remember. Yep. So whatever that, whatever that does for you. And then in terms of objective, like athleticism indicators, Montez sweat, even though he didn't do a lot last year, like he was good enough. He is probably like the, the fastest size, size adjusted player that the NFL has kept, kept track of uh, being like six, six two sixty and running a four, four one is just stupid. Oh my God. It's, I forgot just, it was that crazy. I knew I knew that he totally blew up at the combine. Absolutely but. stupid. Just stupid. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And that's like the bad defensive end in the starting lineup. Like he could be another Daniil Hunter. Like Daniil Hunter was that kind of insane athlete come out of the LSU, mm-hmm. fell to the third round or whatever. But like imagine a defensive line with like Daniil Hunter and then whatever Chase Young is. And then you have one of like the better Pro Bowl, annual Pro Bowl candidate defensive end, Ryan Kerrigan, behind them and Darren Payne. And uh, what's the other guy at defensive tackle? Jonathan, uh, Allen. Jonathan Allen, the best one. Yeah, he might be like the second best player on that defensive line after Chase Young. So there is so much talent in that pass rush, and people are not taking it seriously enough. That uh, th- this defense could totally do kind of like what the 49ers did last year, where they just they come out and people are like, "What the hell happened? No, we, we can't block these guys." Um, and if if they are that good, it might not matter so much that the the linebackers and secondary are trash. Otherwise, uh, although Landon Collins and, and Kendall Fuller are good players, um, so we'll see. But Wentz was rattled with the yips last year. The last time we saw him, the the offensive line is not likely to be better, especially in this matchup. It's not likely to be better. Right. Playing on the road won't make any of this better. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, with all this said, has such a good matchup, and he is so good if he's healthy, and he's so petty. That it's just hard to imagine him letting Washington get out of this without him leaving his brand on them. And so I think you can believe that Washington is a great defensive pick play in DraftKings where they're the, the lowest ranked for some reason. And you can still put Deshaun Jackson in that lineup because he can get he can get six catches for 140 yards and two touchdowns. And Washington could still just give up like 21, 24 points and get five or six sacks in a fumble recovery. Yeah. So at at that point that they're they're certainly um, hitting value for you, especially where they are um, on the salary cap uh, pecking order on on the uh, on defenses and special teams. So, yeah, I I do think that um, that this sets up as as a bit of a trap for the Eagles. Um, they are six and a half point favorites there on the road. Um, minus 280 is the money line. Um, I'd probably yeah. take Washington on yeah. that to cover. Not to win, but yeah, to cover. Yeah, I think that the, that offensive line issue, along with the uh, receiving core not being at full strength, um, those are things that, that are going to hurt Philadelphia. And then, you know, on the other side, um, if Washington can 
I guess we we would be remiss if if we were to to break down this game and not give our Antonio uh, Gibson uh, takes. So please, yeah, you have the floor. A, this is a tough one from that side. I think Steven Sims has to get eight targets in this game, and I bet he catches five or six of them. Don't know how much he could do more. Uh, Terry McLaurin is a beast. He's going to get usage, I think. Um, I wouldn't expect much for Inman or Logan Thomas. I think Washington's going to need to make Thomas block more, especially in this game, than he did in Detroit. Uh, the, it, we got to point out, like as much as the Washington front four can be a problem for the Philadelphia offensive line, uh, the Philadelphia or the, the the Washington offensive line is kind of like if you just had all the Eagles backups in the first place. Ooh. It's it's not a good. I mean, I guess the right side has Moses might be okay, but like sure. they're just trash, 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 trash offensive line. A uh, sure, I guess, is good, um, but it's it's trash, especially on the left side. So the Eagles' defense is probably going to be pretty good this year. Like maybe not great against the pass, but they have an annually really good run defense, and they're pretty fast. Their offensive line is good and deep. So uh, Malik Jackson, I think, missed basically all of last year. He can kind of be a problem against an offensive line like this. He's joining Fletcher Cox. And uh, Javon Hargrave, who was really good with the Steelers the past couple of years. So this this Washington offensive line can definitely collapse often in this game. And so I don't think I expect Washington to do very well on offense. Uh, Terry McLaurin has shown the ability to, to put up numbers good on his part, even when this is the case. Um, but I don't think that there's going to be much running room for anybody in the Washington offense. With that said, I still think that Antonio Gibson is a good uh, tournament pick in DFS and in season long, it's kind of hard to, I mean, you might've gotten him cheap enough that you have safer options this week. I, I don't think Antonio Gibson is a must start, especially if you bought him before Adrian Peterson was cut. Um, in DFS, I would not take him in a cash game lineup though. Cause I, I can imagine him finishing with less than 20 yards rushing. And uh, with that said, his upside scenario could be considerable because if he gets guard, if, if let's say uh, Washington just gets lit up somehow, uh, Antonio Gibson could get garbage time reps then and guys as fast and athletically gifted as him going against the garbage time defense is about as good of a garbage time scenario as I can imagine there you go okay so yeah we he's been tough to figure out just because it feels like he would be like that that bingo free space you know checking in at like a, I believe minimum price for running backs if it was like any other matchup, I would feel that way. Like it, at least half of the defenses in the league, I would say absolutely cash game tournament mandatory. But it, I feel like the Eagles are an exception. Okay, that's totally fair. That that is a very talented uh, defense, especially uh, against the run. So um, if again, if the game script flows in such a way that then Gibson can definitely hit value. It's he's going to be one of those tough, like you like you said though, um, start sit. Uh, decisions overall Um, before we get on to our late afternoon games we got a message from our friends over at prediction strike prediction strike is a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks ever heard someone say i've had stock in this player since day one well, now Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes' rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now it's a reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. 
To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com to create an account. Then deposit funds to buy and hold and sell shares of your favorite players just like you would real stocks. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time as long as a player isn't currently in a game. Get started today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 with your first deposit of $20 or more. Again, that is promo code ROTOWIRE to help you out over on Prediction Strike. So go check that out. Fill out your portfolios. All right, let's get moving here on to the afternoon games. We got the Chargers going up against the Bengals. I have a lot of intrigue in this game. I feel like this could be uh, one that's the key to the to the DFS, DFS slate. Uh, I think it's one that's going to be an interesting litmus test for where Joe Burrow is along his development curve. Um, I think that he's going to be fairly advanced and he's going to be able to hit the ground running and, and end up being that that type of guy that um, you can use as your as your quarterback one every week and season long. Um, and I think that also uh, the Chargers. Um, they have a, a kind of tough quarterback situation, and also they just lost the their best player in, in Derwin James that this past week, and um, you know saw that on Hard Knocks, and that was tough to see. Um, you know, just like how how much pull he has on the, on that team, and to see him go down again with another injury, it, it definitely stings. But uh, fact of the matter is, show goes on, so we we do have this matchup here. Uh, we got the Bengals, uh, three point dogs at home, going up against this Chargers team. Yeah, and it looks like it'll be a notably warm game. It might be the warmest game on the slate, aside from the Jacksonville one. Uh, So that's in Cincinnati, but it's going to be more like an AFC South kind of feeling, apparently. And it's it's an interesting setup, because that Chargers defense has still, even without Derwin James, quite a few good players. It's just one of those things, uh, including Linval Joseph, who we're talking about with the the Vikings earlier, they signed him. He's he's like 30 or 31, so he's probably not what he used to be, but he's probably still quite good. And him plus Bosa, Ingram rushing the passer, that could get difficult at times, especially because even, even as much as I'm optimistic about the Cincinnati offense improving this year, that's not because I think the offensive line is so great. Even with Jonah Williams on the left side, the right side is trash. It could be a problem in this game. If you uh, were like, not that I ever advised this, but if you were a CJ Uzoma investor, I think you should assume he'll spend a lot of time blocking in this game. However, as much as an offensive line being bad, going against a good pass rush is, is, is typically a bad setup. One way you can uh, not necessarily like offset, or maybe it is offset, you, you can deter and somewhat offset the, the pass rush, pass blocking deficit by having much better receivers than you used to and making the defense pay for trying to so much as even rush the passer. And that could be a setup that we have here. I don't know how ready T Higgins is. I don't know what kind of chemistry Joe Burrow has with John Ross. I don't know what we should expect of AJ green, but those three players I think can all get open on Cincinnati uh, on the charges best corners. So Chris Harris and Casey Hayward, Desmond King in the slot too. Those guys are all good and they all fit well in the scheme as, as as they call it with the Chargers. But the way it goes wrong for them is if you make them play out of the scheme and chase your fast receiver down the field. Because Harris never could run very much. Hayward could run less than, than Harris could. Uh, Harris has got to be 31 or something like that now. I think Ross can run away from them and I think A.J. Green and T. Higgins can box them out all day. So if Burrow has enough time to throw and enough time for those guys to get into their routes, 
I don't think Hayward and Harris can stop AJ Green at all. And I don't think if, if Higgins, if he's developed enough, he could kind of bully them a bit too. Uh, Tyler Boyd has more of a, I guess in the slot, he's got more of like an even match. Like Desmond King has played there in the past and been very good at it. I think Boyd is the quality of player though, where you call it like a, a, a whatever stalemate kind of thing. Like it's, it's not a reason to be worried about Boyd. His volume could be quite high and he's a really good player. Uh, he can play above baseline, so if he has a bad base, baseline, that's not a, necessarily a reason to fade him. Uh, but yeah, if, if the thing is, for, as far as the risk for taking Burrow in a tournament in DFS, if he comes out and puts two or three touchdowns on them in 28 attempts and throws for like 220 yards, I could imagine them putting him back in a case for the rest of the day, which would make sense because it's his first game. If he if he comes out and gets a victory and puts up some good numbers, makes some good puts up some good tape and you can get him out of the game without putting out any bad tape. That's that's a good thing and you just paid this running back 12 million a year, so why not make Joe Mixon start working quite a bit more than he did in the past uh, and why not uh, you know just let 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 Burrow get the lead and let Joe Mixon preserve it uh, because especially with quarterback play like we can expect from Tyrod Taylor which I am not high on him at all I'm no. not picking him in this game no. I probably won't pick him in any other I will say if you pick him in a game I guess it might as well be this one the, the Bengals are probably going to move pretty up tempo but uh, I'm not picking him if I pick anybody on the Chargers side it would be Austin Eckler on DraftKings where his price is pretty tempting I will say at the moment though I think I'm leaning more so trying to pay up for Cook because I, I I'm not worried about uh, I'm not worried about Kirk Cousins finishing the game with 80 yards passing, you know. Yeah, I mean that that's that's definitely true. But um, get back to the Burrow thing as a whole, though, and, and what that could mean for for the rest of this like passing game. Uh, I I guess just like, do you think that they would they would like pull Joe Burrow if he gets to that no, certain point? No, I just think I can imagine them coming out aggressively. And mm-hmm. I can imagine them scoring quickly. If it's if it's AJ Green on Chris Harris and AJ Green's healthy, AJ Green's on Casey Hayward. I'm taking AJ Green. Like he can beat them, no doubt. And if 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 Burrow has time to throw it, he, I think he'll get it there. And so I think that matchup is something Cincinnati can come out and just punch them right in the jaw with right away. And if they go up, you know, fourteen to seven, fourteen to three, or something like that, I can imagine them going into more of just a rush heavy kind of look and try to limit burrows passes from that point to play action basically okay i see see what you're saying now okay that that makes sense um but yeah i think that this is going to be a fun game season roethlisberger you know that kind of format okay yep yep i see what you mean um so yeah that that'll be that'll be an interesting game you know i think that neither of these teams are, are going to make the playoffs in my opinion, but um, I think for fantasy, there there could be um, a decent amount uh, there to get excited about. Um, let's move on over to what is probably the game of the day, at least uh, during like the main slate on Sunday. Uh, we got the Bucks going up against the Saints. We got Brady versus Breeze. We got uh, you know the the new Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers. Um, going up against a Saints team that you know has been among the best in the NFC but hasn't been able to to punch their ticket to the Super Bowl over the last couple of years. Um, we got the Saints checking in as three and a half point favorites at home so I, I guess if Vegas views them pretty neutral and, and gives um, although I don't know how much if if like the old hard and fast rule of like three points or so uh, for the home team really applies this year if that if that's the same way. Um, but I guess in that stadium it probably does. Even still, okay. So um, let's get into it then. Um, I guess starting things out, what does this Buccaneers passing game do if there's no Mike Evans? Yeah, it's rough. Uh, 
because if Evans is out, I guess that means Scott Miller will play more snap. Let's, Scott Miller would gain more snaps than Justin Watson would. Uh, Watson apparently is who would play a bit more if it was Godwin who was out. But Scott Miller outside, Chris Godwin outside, two tight end base. I think that's what they have to go with if, if Evans is out. You don't want to go with three wide base uh, if Evans is out. So we could see an O.J. Howard, Rob Gronkowski, Scott Miller, Chris Godwin loadout if Evans is missing. And that would probably mean they shadow him with Lattimore because that's uh, you know that's what you have a guy like Lattimore for to shadow the, the lead receiver. And as much as Evans is a easier matchup for Lattimore, the way Lattimore built, um, he's still probably it's probably worth their time to put him on Godwin if Godwin's the only one out there. Uh, I think you still would like to play Godwin, especially in DFS tournaments and in season long, in that case because a he's just really good. And if if Evans isn't out there, the funnel effect, in my opinion, uh, at least matches the matchup penalty and might exceed it. Uh, Godwin's just awesome, and and I think he can beat Lattimore basically. So if that's the scenario, if Evans is out, I like Godwin quite a bit. Uh, if Evans is in, I still like Godwin, but it's different because he's running from the slot more often and probably going against, I guess his name is CD Deuce now, um, <laughs> formerly Chauncey Gardner Johnson. So if you, if you hear me say CD Deuce, that's, um, I, I wasn't sure if that was like, a, I guess like in a, in like a group chat or whatever, I wasn't sure if that meant like a CD lamb, new nickname or something. No, but. nope. It's CD deuce. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I clicked on like the, the depth chart on Rotowire, you know, one day, like I didn't hear the report about how he changed his name. So I just saw that there and I was like, what the hell is this? And I clicked on it and it's like, shows a picture of a guy and it says like fourth round last year. And I'm like, I cannot believe I don't remember this guy. Yeah. And it's it like, Oh, it's Chauncey Gardner Johnson. What the hell? Um, anyway, uh, I still think like he looks good by the way. Chauncey uh, CD deuce now. Um, but Godwin is too good uh, for a player like him to stop. So Boy, be at the slot. That's fine. But if Evans is out, I think Godwin, uh, his volume upgrade offsets the map, the matchup downgrade of going from CD deuce to Marshawn Lattimore. Boy, the last time I saw CD deuce, it was, uh, I was watching that documentary grizzly man folks that was that sorry uh uh, no no he was he was not in in grizzly man i I think maybe two listeners will will maybe get that reference sorry i haven't seen that Uh, making a a bear poop joke uh on the air so it's the kind of professionalism that i think people tune in for uh, the bears eat seeds is that where this is yeah yeah it looked like a very just if you watch the movie, it, it makes more sense. Anyway, um, for the- <laughs> let's let's get on to to the rest of this matchup, breaking it down. What are your expectations for Tom Brady? Um, I don't know. I'm not really that interested. I think the Saints' defense is really good, and I, th- I think he can be efficient. I can imagine him having three touchdowns on you know 32 attempts or something like that. But I don't know how he throws for that much. Especially if Evans is out. If Evans is in, that's different, I guess, because because Evans is a beast. He he totally can can change the nature of an entire game. So uh, if Evans is in and if it looks like he can play, then I guess I like Brady more. But if he can, if he only has Godwin and Miller, and then there's two tight ends, I think Godwin can win at a high volume rate. But I don't know if the tight ends will. Like Demario Davis is a really tough coverage linebacker, and those safeties can cover quite a bit from a variety of looks. 
So I don't know if we can expect an above baseline day from the tight ends. And as much as I like Scott Miller, and he is good, I really do believe that he's good. Um, I don't know if Tom Brady's the type of quarterback to make the most of him. And I don't know if he can get open yet against Janoris Jenkins. Wait, you don't think he can get the most out of a gritty white guy from the Mac? Well, unlike all of his other white receivers, Miller is, an, is a fast guy who plays outside. So he's not, see, he's not a slot oh, receiver. That throws a wrench in it. Yeah, yeah, he's got to be a white slot receiver for Brady to be able to throw to him. But uh, I don't know. Miller is good. He can get open a good amount. It's just I don't know if against Janoris Jenkins and with Brady as the quarterback is the best setup. But definitely a tournament consideration if Evans is out. And you could definitely do worse in season-long PPR if Evans is out. If Evans is out, do you think that uh, – I mean, I guess you were just kind of like alluding to it. But, I mean, does that – still not enough to like steer you towards Gronk this week? I think it makes it easier to justify it, but it's still not something I'm interested in. And especially in DFS, I mean, I think people are just going to flood to, to Gronk if Evans is out, like the, uh, the uh, roster percentage is going to be through the roof. Maybe. And it might make sense to do it. I tend to believe though, whatever Gronk does in this game, he would have done anyway. Uh, I don't really see a scenario where he's heavily targeted. I, I feel like, I just don't know if I believe that he's that kind of player anymore. He never really was that kind of player. Uh, like he, he was a player who does a lot of damage per target. So um, he could still do that, and maybe he gets more targets, and maybe none of his returns per target diminish if that happens. I just don't. I just think it'll be like. I just think it'll be more targets for Miller and Godwin, really. Okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, that It's important to, to get that. Demario Davis there. is a really good coverage linebacker. Like, he, sh- he shuts people down kind of – it's like him and Eric Kendricks might be the best. Oh, okay. All right. So if he's in the in the Kendricks tier, then that's definitely um, worth noting when, when going over your lineup decisions come Sunday. Um, let's move on over – um, another interesting matchup here between the ascending Cardinals versus obviously the the reigning NFC champion um, San Francisco 49ers who lost a player in DeForest Buckner that you talked about a fair bit in that Indianapolis Jacksonville um, breakdown earlier. So that's a significant loss for this Niners team that was uh, yes. just absolutely hell on wheels defensively a year ago. Yeah, I know that Javon Kinlaw is a good prospect, but he's not DeForest Buckner. And Eric Armstead is not going to be Eric Armstead of 2019 without DeForest Buckner there. So I think they're going to lose something on the defensive line that they didn't plan for. Um, and I think it's going to have a meaningful effect. I don't know what kind of effect it'll have in this game. And, it, and to whatever degree it does have an effect, it might affect their run defense more than their pass rush. Because the pass rush still has Bosa and D Ford. And Kinlaw is still a guy you have to double team most of the time if you try to put a guy you know, 40 fewer pounds on him one-on-one, that's that's asking for trouble. So you got to block those other three probably with one less person than you'd like to. The Cardinals' offensive line still sucks. They still have an advantage there for sure. Uh, it might be more to, like, the ground game, so maybe, like, Kenyon Drake and, and uh, Chase Edmonds. Maybe Chase Edmonds has to pick up a bigger burden this week than usual if the Cardinals can't take some of the, the shots at receiver that they would normally because – uh, as much as I think Richard Sherman will probably lose something going into this year, uh, it's like they might have – Emmanuel Mosley looks good at one outside corner spot, and Richard Sherman is probably still good at the other. K1 Williams, i got to look up his, his situation, I guess. He was really good last year. Yep. Uh, he struggled before that, but he had been injured. The thing is they might have Jason Verrett this year too. He probably can't play more than like 20 or 30 snaps a game, but he might be their best corner on those 20 or 30 snaps if he's out there. I Jason Verrett already injured, uh, oh, which is God. just classic. No offense. Well, if but. he's if he's out, then you know who knows. 
they're still good. But if he's in, that's just like, oh, God, they can go four wide against anybody now. Um, but I think that uh, – I think Hopkins – well, you obviously you're starting him in season long, but uh, it's worth a thought in, in tournaments, I guess, in DFS because the Cardinals' offense is going to throw to him a lot, and even against corners like Sherman, and especially if he's against Mosley, he can beat Mosley just because Mosley's just not really built to handle his his rebound kind of game. Uh, Sherman could, but I also think Hopkins can probably just lose Sherman with separation. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I, I yeah, I mean the Cardinals are kind of like what they look like in this matchup. It's like there's some risk. There's some upside because both of these offenses can go up tempo. There's some maybe unacknowledged upside with the with the Cardinals pass catchers because if Kyler Murray is a better version of himself than last year, the prices don't show that yet. So it'll it'll it's kind of like either now or, or never kind of thing as far as ca- uh, capitalizing on, on Kyler Murray and his his breakout if you believe it'll happen, uh, which I do. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not really drawn toward toward Hopkins or Kirk even for for, for DFS. I think they're all going to do pretty good. It's just it just will be more hard fought than some of the other options in their price ranges. I think so. Uh, if if I'm picking any Cardinal, I, I guess it would be Hopkins, but uh, or Kirk on DraftKings. They're, they're both good players, and I definitely expect Kirk to take a step forward. Um, on the 49ers side, I think it's easier, especially in the event that Debo Samuel and Ayuk are out. And we'll see. I guess they didn't practice Wednesday, but they should both still have a chance. If they don't practice today, Thursday, then I guess I'd kind of say yeah, probably not. Even if they're both in, though, I think I'm going in my tournament lineups at least with Trent Taylor. Uh, I guess Ooh. I'm it seemed it seemed as of a couple of weeks ago that Ayuk was a little closer than Samuel, but they were both pretty close. If they're both out, I'm going Trent Taylor in every DraftKings lineup because he's 3,900, and I think he could very easily catch six passes in that game, uh, especially if those two receivers are out. Um, but yeah, Trent Taylor, people are not taking seriously enough. He will be there on a, on a per snap basis. He will probably be targeted as much as Debo Samuel. It's just that like the Hunter Renfro in Oakland or with the Raiders thing. It's like the guy probably can't play more than 35 snaps or like 40 in a shootout week. But if Ayuk and Samuel are out and this, this could be a shootout too, moreover, he could, he could catch like six to eight passes or something like that. And uh, also Jordan Reed is worth a consideration. I think Jordan Reed, um, I'm skipping Kittle. Obviously he's the best play in this game. Um, but aside from Kittle, even Jordan Reed is worth thinking about. Cause I think they signed him specifically to play the exact role that Jalen Hurd was going to play, uh, which isn't like a featured one, but at 3000 for a player as good as Reed, it could be enough. Okay. Interesting. And then, I mean, looking at the backfield, um, you know, I, wanted to you know look at something to to support my priors uh in thinking that this would be a really good spot for raheem mostert you know especially if yeah. uh, san francisco is light on receiving personnel but the cardinals not terrible against the run last year i mean they were they were you know plum average they were allowing 4.2 uh yards per carry which is smack dab in the middle uh gave up nine touchdowns to opposing running backs uh that sort of thing so n- not the sort of um jailbreak type of situation that you know maybe this would have been if they were going up against the the jags or or the panthers or something like that Uh, the the cardinals have a little bit more backbone um as far as that goes and and they obviously uh got a guy in the draft in isaiah simmons that's pretty interesting although i haven't haven't heard a ton of like buzz about him i wonder how much of simmons that selection was directly a counter to kittle right he's he's it might not be anything like simmons is a good enough prospect they don't need an additional reason but um yeah it's like if if that's in response to him that's kind of interesting uh to to answer specifically about mostert 
I actually think this is a really good matchup for him. And I know that you were right that the Cardinals run defense was pretty good last year. Uh, The pass defense was terrible, but the run defense was pretty good. And Simmons getting there is unlikely to make it worse. I do think, though, that Mostert and the way that they get him the ball might be the kind of player that does the best against the Cardinals run defense, though. And I don't have any proof of this. I'm just kind of trying to think through their personnel. But on the edge... That's where Chandler Jones is, and he's, of course, a monster. Um, But he's a monster more with regard to pass rushing. And the middle of the defense, I'm guessing, is where they were stronger against the run. And I think Mostert is like so so singularly dangerous in that wide zone carry, especially once they establish kind of like – if they get Kittle going a little bit on his routes, it sets up that Mostert play. And it's one of those things kind of like the Lamar Jackson run fake threat. Like once they establish the Kittle part of of that formation, then you're kind of – it's like as a defense you're playing with one less person than the offense because you have to account for this certain thing. Like it's not up to you. You account for it or you give up a big play. So you have to account for it, but the only way to account for it is to leave yourself vulnerable to this this other threat that materializes just as fast and in a way where you get no real notice. You just either guess right or guess wrong – and if you're wrong, Mostert's just fast and there's a lot of room for him to run. And it's, it's just one of those things you can't really negotiate with it. Uh, you can either ignore the Kittle threat and guess right that it's going to Mostert, or you can ignore the Mostert threat and you know guess that it's going with Kittle. But you need to be right each time, and it's just easier said than done. Yeah, definitely. And you know, that, that's a... A tricky, uh, you know, coin flip that you know if it goes wrong, it goes really, really wrong for you. He only um, needs like twelve carries to put up one sixty and a couple touchdowns. Exactly. So I, I do like Mostert a lot this week, even with the Cardinals being, um, you know, at least competent um, against the run. I think that things set up really well for him. Um, let's hit. Uh, one more game on Sunday before we round things out here. Uh, we got a couple of, of games on, on Monday night that are that our Monday uh, NFL pod uh, will get to. Um, but let's get into the primetime matchup between the Cowboys and the Rams. Cowboys three point favorites on the road over under at 52. So pretty high over under um, this going off at the new Rams stadium looks beautiful from from what we saw on hard knocks. It looks like a quote unquote a fast track. Um, it looks like Amari Cooper is going to be a full go uh, on the Cowboys side of things. We don't really know what kind of <laughs> uh, mess the the Rams backfield is going to be um, there, you know, with Malcolm Brown and and uh, Cam Akers being listed a little bit further down than a lot of people were expecting. And then Darrell Henderson, de- you know, kind of being slowed um, throughout a lot of training camp. Um, a lot of question marks as far as that uh, run game is concerned for the Rams. And then, of course, that they are also uh, moving into their that new era without uh, Brandon Cooks uh, providing that speed threat that, that you've laid out as such like an important uh, part of getting things open for, for guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and even Tyler Higbee. Yeah, so I like this game a lot. I wish it was on the main slate for the the Sunday slate. I, I think that this is a team, or this is this is a matchup of two teams with uh, probably up tempo offenses. Probably in the case of the Rams, at least because of McVeigh alone and some of the skill position talent, like they're they're going to be better than most teams, I think, and run more snaps than most teams. In Dallas's case, I'm not really giving the coaches the credit. It's all the personnel. Uh, but the personnel is unreal, in my opinion. I mean, I'm a big Dak Prescott fan. Uh, it's like I, I, I get really excited about the Dallas offense, and I honestly don't even think of Ezekiel Elliott, like, even though he's the objectively most highly used player in it. It's like he's becoming an afterthought to me when I think about what you can do with this passing game. 
And it has to do with not just Dak and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, but adding C.D. Lamb. I, I, I just talked earlier about how Randall Cobb did a pretty good job last year. I, I think C.D. Lamb is a totally different question. And even as a rookie, I, I think he can kind of tip a threshold for that offense. I'm not saying like 99 Rams kind of thing, but it's just like when you put that much talent at, at the routes that you're running, and especially if the offensive line looks generally like the way we can ex- that we have reason to expect, there's just there's just so many ways for things to get out of hand for the defense. And in this game, I don't really know what to expect for uh, the way that the Rams use Jalen Ramsey. I wouldn't use him as a shadow against an offense like Dallas because you can't really demonstrate to me that Cooper is so much better than Gallup or Gallup so much better than Cooper or whatever way uh, that it would make sense for a shadow. So they could just keep Ramsey playing on one side and then use the rest of the defense to tilt toward where they think they need the most help whatever but even if they account for all those receivers like you're probably going to be stressed pretty extensively by Ezekiel Elliott all the while this is happening so that's impressive if you've pulled that much off and then even if you do I think Blake Jarwin is way better than Jason Witten and might actually be like something like one of the best 15 or sorry one of the best like 10 tight ends in the league and that's that's taking a leap of faith like he hasn't taken on the volume yet but right. looking at looking at his his athleticism traits and his production to this point like I think he's clearly the kind of guy who can take on an explosive high volume role if they need him to and against this team maybe that's where it happens I mean they know they a lot of responsibility and coverage last year uh, so if, if they're leaving some linebacker and their linebackers probably aren't very good, they're leaving some linebacker out there on Jarwin, even if Jalen Ramsey shuts someone down and if the other corners shut those other receivers down, I think Jarwin can, can light them up too. So I don't see any way Dak fails in this setup. And I don't think that even with Ramsey that the Rams can slow the, that passing game. I think the, the run defense might be a little better, but I think that's just because they're switching from a two gap, uh, switching from a one gap scheme with Wade Phillips to a two gap that makes stopping the run a little easier, but it also makes it harder to rush the passer. So if Dak has all day to throw, he's just going to murder them. And I can see that being a possibility. Dallas also has a new defensive coordinator. So their defense with a lot of turnover personnel wise, coaching wise could look pretty rough. So I think both sides will egg on the shootout here. And I think we'll get a shootout. Yeah. I mean, uh, didn't you see the, that, uh, Aaron Donald is actually average. Yeah. That was so stupid. (laughs) I'm, I can't talk about that stuff, man. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, but getting on, so you laid out a, gr- a great case for for this uh, Cowboys team. It it is really loaded, and um, you know, I, offense. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I really like Jarwin too. Um, I just I get concerned when it comes down to just where he fits in that like packing order for targets. I guess is, is where I get a little bit concerned. But if I'm playing like a showdown slate, then you know I, I steer into the risk for for that right. sort of thing. I just I, I think Jarwin is pertinent, not so much because he's a high consistency target to consider. And I'm not picking him, to be clear. I just mean, like, in the event that some defense does the unlikely and neutralizes the Dallas running game and the Dallas wide receivers, I would be shocked if they still have the defensive bandwidth necessary to account for Jarwin. And I bet he can beat them in those cases. Right. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, and then uh, let's get to the Ram side. Let's let's start to unpack things uh, when it comes to uh, that backfield, and then we'll, we'll get into their pass catchers as well. Well, I would have liked Cam Akers quite a bit in this game, but I see Daryl Henderson was listed as a full practice participant yesterday, That's Wednesday. Good. So if he's a full practice participant, then yeah, it's tough to call that backfield because um, even if Malcolm Brown starts, 
let's say let's say that both of these let's say there's 140 snaps in this game and we project both the Rams and Dallas for 70 I don't think in that case that Brown plays more than 25 and I think on those 25 he's less likely to see the ball than Henderson and Akers on their snaps and that's because Brown is the one they trust the most as a pass blocker but he's not really much of a pass catcher so if he's out there uh, he's the most likely to spend a snap not getting the ball. Uh, Akers being a rookie will, pr- I would guess, have the highest rate of uh, touches to snap. And even even with Henderson there in the 70-snap game, I think 25 snaps might be enough for Akers to be good. Uh, I think you're starting him as a flex consideration at worst in season long. But even in DFS, if, if, if you're uh, – I mean, if you're doing the um, – the showdown or if there's like a two game slate or something like that, I wouldn't be scared of acres. In fact, if on a small slate like that, if people are overreacting to the news of Henderson, it might be a way to keep ownership down on a guy who otherwise would have been really chalky. Uh, so I think acres will be good for the, the usage that he gets. And I think in the event that he plays 30 or more snaps, which could happen, like I, I don't, I don't think Henderson's playing more than like 20 either uh, coming off missing the past three weeks or whatever it was. So I like acres quite a bit as a, as, as a two game slate play. And in season long, I would in most cape most cases, keep him active. I dig it. I dig it. Um, and then when it comes to uh, this Rams uh, passing game, uh, what do you what do you see from them? I know the Cowboys lost a little bit as far as their secondary personnel is concerned, but again, uh, the the no Brandon Cooks uh, means that there's less of that speed dynamic um, for this Rams uh, group of pass catchers. I I don't know. I like Van Jefferson. I think is a better fit for the offense than Josh Reynolds, and uh, I, th- I think he'll be better than Reynolds. I don't think he'll be as good of a net effect as as cooks was even if cooks was just a decoy uh jefferson is still pretty fast and he's faster than josh reynolds but i think he's more like four four three kind of fast four four five kind of fast it's hard to tell because he didn't run before the draft but i I don't think he's brandon cooks cooks ran a four four four, three three coming out of oregon state and defenses have to respect that even if goff can't throw him the ball Uh, so i can imagine the safety's playing a little closer and if they do I don't know if that means anything necessarily, but if it could conceivably mean diminished returns for everybody, including Cup, Woods, Higby, on a per-target basis. Uh, so I feel like that's a threat, but the to the, the degree to which I'm worried about that is kind of minima. How I still think is a really good coach, and I, I think it's important to remember that even if there's certain things going on. It's like he will get unusually good results even if things are kind of dubious uncertain questions and as long as Goff has time to throw which i kind of think he will uh i don't i don't think mike nolan's a very good defensive coordinator in dallas um but we'll see is he going if to he wear a time, suit uh i assume so he's not he's not some street urchin is he <laughs> are you a coach or a street urchin mike <laughs> wear a suit two options here sonny just a, disrespectful to not wear a suit every single second that you're outdoors god i hate that um <laughs> But yeah, Mike's cool. I just don't think he's that good of a defensive coordinator. And so I don't think Dallas is going to like catch McVay by surprise. And I don't think highly of Goff, but I, I bet he has a pretty good game here, uh, if only from the volume. Uh, I think Higby's going to look good in this game. Uh, I think Cup, especially if Jordan Lewis is out, I think Cup could have a huge game here. Okay. So, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, it sounds like uh, you think that the Rams at least keep this pretty competitive here. I know, I know that they are uh, home underdogs oh, yeah. in this one. I think they'll uh, make it down to the wire. 
I would like, love I don't, that. I don't, I don't feel confident saying Dallas wins. Like I, I, I don't know how to call this game. Okay. No, that that's totally fair. Again, like this, this is a tough one. I, I think on paper, you know, the Cowboys, but you can say this almost every year. It feels like the Cowboys have on paper what it takes to uh, come out of the NFC. Um, they just haven't really put it together yet. But, but I think that this, this specific, uh, vintage of the Cowboys should be a position to make a deep playoff run it should start uh here Sunday night against the Rams but the the Rams won't be uh pushovers there so that that should be that that line looks about right to me um it should be a really really uh fun game to to start out the the Sunday night primetime slate uh for the 2020 season uh but with that uh that's gonna wrap things up for our Mondo edition uh breaking down the the main slate um for week one over here on the Thursday Rotowire NFL podcast uh, with Mario Puig and myself, John McKechnie. Uh, c- come back tomorrow for Friday's show. Andrew Laird and Scott Jenstad, a couple of great DFS minds, are going to give you uh, everything that you need to set your lineups and all that good stuff. So stay tuned on that Friday show as well. But for Mario Puig and myself, thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.